Welcome to Globally Speaking, a production by RWS. Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who is engaged in global communications. Our experts talk to various industry thought leaders to dig into the most critical issues impacting language and localization today. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. Now, here is the host for this episode. Welcome to Globally Speaking. My name is Andrew Thomas, Senior Director of Marketing at RWS. I'm joined here today by two senior managers from Dell Technologies, Fernando Caro and Scott Cahoon. Would you guys mind introducing yourselves quickly for our audience? Sure. My name is Fernando Caro. I'm a senior manager responsible for internationalization at Dell. I have a group of nine folks who work to make Dell software global in nature and also to make it easy to translate without requiring a lot of engineering efforts. All right. And then I'm Scott Cahoon. Um, I act as the um, internationalization architect for uh, the, the translation technology at play at Dell and so work closely with Fernando and the rest of our internal translation team to uh, make sure that all of their needs are met as far as translation tech is, is uh, considered. Perfect. And I'm really excited to have both of you on the podcast today because I think very often um, when I go out and listen to localization presentations or podcasts similar to this, it's always either from a services client side or delivery perspective, or it's very much a technology-driven conversation. And I think we rarely take a step back and look at how the two intersect. And obviously, um, they very much do. And clearly, they do here at Dell. And um, I'd love being able to kind of present the entire picture for everybody. So... I do want to start there at that higher level, and maybe I'll direct this question first to you, Fernando, and talk about like what are the larger business goals at Dell that are directly supported by localization? Where do you see your role in how you contribute to Dell's business? I think the big, one of the most major or bigger roles is as the world shifts not just in terms of what it's been doing for a while now in terms of agile, continuous integration, continuous development is the as a service world as the as a service world. And in that world you really can't have delays or make your customers wait to get to get whatever service subscription product that the as a service world is offering. And so I think from that angle alone it's important that well both from an internationalization but from a localization, continuous loc, that those pieces be rightly integrated into how that entire set of workflows work to enable us to deliver simultaneously the experience um, from a uh, local experience at the same time as everything as English is going out. And I think that itself is a major driver of being part of that customer experience, that customer journey to enable that to be a reality, but also enable um, the languages to be part of that experience so that customers get a seamless end-to-end journey while they traverse the as-a-service world. Um, And I don't think that today that's an inevitable future. It's here now. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I completely agree with you. I mean, I think across the variety of industries we're seeing this shift to the as-a-service approach, as you call it. And clearly, even if you're not making that uh, shift as a business, as you mentioned, customer experience is really important regardless of the nature of your business. So would you mind just unpacking a little bit the sorts of issues or challenges that you face when it comes to localizing Dell's customer experience and took looking at it from that point of view? Sure. One of them, first of all, is just understanding what is the customer experience. Um, if you get right into just the, simply the translation part of it, uh, you, you probably are not looking at the world with all the right set, sets of lenses. What I mean by that is 
you have to understand what is what is the customer actually doing with that as a service world. What what are the learning experiences, the buying experiences, the end-to-end throughput to essentially then understand, well, what would be that language experience? Um, are they getting bounced around from locale to locale? Are they kept within their user location? Uh, and sometimes those things get ignored because you're thinking purely about, well, we need to translate into X number of languages. So I think it's not so much about which languages or the or the actual translation process. It's really about mapping how the customer will traverse that as a service world and what will they get and how will that work when you're not in an English-speaking country or region or, or, or domain. And I think that's the piece that you have to really first analyze in order to understand what needs to happen because behind the as-a-service, of course, are a set of services, products, and you know you 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 will have to look at the the that side from understanding well what is supported, what is not supported, and even minor details like translating a user interface as part of the as-a-service world. But if the products themselves do not do not or do not have the capacity to uh, handle data that's not not ASCII, then you don't have a great customer experience. You might have the user interfaces in their local languages, but how they how they operate within that as a service world won't give them that end-to-end experience. And that's what I mean by trying to really delve into what is that journey, what are they doing in that journey, to then map correctly what that experience will be when you go beyond English. Yeah, it sounds a lot like we're taking the older kind of internationalization approach that we've always applied to product development for a long time and now kind of extending it to what has become the larger product experience or service experience, to your point, which is much bigger than the confines of an individual product. So I imagine you have to go a lot further upstream uh, than you would have in the old days in, you know, being in a Logue department. You know, I, I imagine you're having to work very closely with other teams much further, like I said, much further upstream in the development of these things. Um, can you give us some details or some examples of that, um, if I'm correct? Yeah, it's it's not – I think the key here is is that at the end of the day, we all know what to do with globalization and the processes behind it. But when you look at this world – and you look at how companies are transforming their their data centers and how they operate, you can't really look at globalization as your traditional, you know, steps one through 10. Um, you've got to take a step back and realize that, that the world that we used to live, which is you engage with the product team, you do what you have to do to globalize it, translate it, that, that's still true. That's not going away, but the as-a-service world is a different paradigm because you're having customers interact through essentially a portal, but they're interacting through this, this 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 different mechanism. They're not buying a product. And so I think the examples for me are more around, and this is where it's challenging because it does take you to places that you perhaps don't traditionally look from a, a, a you know a localization or even globalization perspective is what what are what's the what's the journey the customer takes? Where are they going through the as a service world? What are the expectations that they'll have based on what is being provided to them in terms of selections and options? Um, you have to understand, obviously, the competitive landscape. Uh, you have to look at the what is the actual support that each of these areas that comprise the as-a-service, what do they support? And that's kind of what I was uh, you know, uh, talking a couple minutes ago, which is it, it's not just what you translate into it's what functionality exists as they purchase, go through the as-a-service. What is the experience you're giving that customer? And is a customer then going to have an ability to purchase because they had a seamless experience in their native languages, but in their native functionality as well? It does the customer no good to have a, a translated interface if the underlying technology doesn't understand when the data is not uniformly ASCII, and when they have to do things that are specific to their region in terms of formats, things of that nature, if that's not there, then they get a half-baked half experience because what they're getting is 
yes, a native experience in the UI, but then how they operate isn't really truly matching what they would expect from their country or from their region. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, I do want to bring Scott into the conversation now just to talk about the translation platform at Dell. You know, just taking a step back, you know, obviously there's a lot that Fernando's doing to support Dell's localization efforts. And you are providing kind of the technology platform that his team relies on. Can you just give us a quick background on some of the capabilities that you ensure that you can deliver to his team, the you know history of usage of technology at Dell, any kind of future plans where you're taking things from a technology perspective and how that integrates with his team? Yeah, sure. I think one of the things that we found, you know, as we are moving more towards the SaaS model and um, as we're looking to see how we can really have a larger impact on the overall Dell ecosystem is that um, our other parts of our business are beginning to understand. I think we've all, I think translation has always sort of been, been considered a uh, something you have to do to do business in certain places and maybe to be successful with certain uh, customers. But what we're seeing happening at Dell is that some of our core teams are beginning to see translation as a uh, enabler to them to run a more efficient uh, business. Uh, a good example of that would be um, our support team has recently been looking to see how they can better support our, our international customers and, you know, really there's two ways you go about doing that. One is you spend a lot of money, you buy a lot of, uh, you, you hire a lot of resources and you locate your, your, uh, those resources all around the world, right? Um, another option, which we're in the process of putting in place right now, is to be able to take technology and, you know, take advantage of the latest uh, neural machine translation solutions and look to, to build a real-time um you know, translation solution that allows your English support agent to now interact with a Chinese customer and to be able to successfully walk them through their issue and provide a resolution without necessarily speaking Chinese, right? And um, so we, we see those kinds of, of asks happen, coming to us. I think in general, the neural, neural MT or, or machine translation, as most people outside of our industry would understand it, is beginning to open a lot of different um, opportunities inside of the Dell ecosystem. And then I think you take what the neural machine translation can offer, plus then looking to see, as you know, as um, Fernando stated, as we get to a more of a SaaS, always online, always available kind of solution, it, what it's starting to do is force our development teams to get out of their silos, right? You can no longer say... I'm just an English, I'm an American-only product, therefore I don't need to localize, and I don't need to translate, and I don't need to internationalize. What, what we're, what's happening is those, those um, development teams at Dell who have for years sort of resisted or not felt the need to become international are now realizing that the, if they don't become internationalized, if they don't properly support our international customers, they're going to they're going to basically fall by the wayside, right? Well, because they'll introduce those problems that Fernando was talking about. Exactly, where the underlying piece isn't isn't able to support the local experience. Yeah, that exactly. makes total sense. So as so as somebody goes through the SaaS experience, we don't want a customer to start out in a nice, fully internationalized, very fully uh, translated solution, and then suddenly click on a link and pop to an English, you know, an English uh, product, right? We want, we want them to have a consistent experience as they go throughout the entire solution. And, and, and that requires that we move to a standard set of languages, that we move to a standard level of support. Um, and that's where I think, you know, Fernando and his team are really getting an opportunity to shine at Dell because, they, they now, the value of what they offer is really becoming center, center uh, stage. 
Yeah, so let's flip it around a little bit. Fernando, how do you see Scott's platform supporting your team? What is, what is Scott's team and his technology bring to the table for your process? Well, first of all, stating the obvious, it's, it's extremely critical to the entire equation. While for the business, those types of areas may not be visible to them, but in order to make this all work, it's not just what I was talking about earlier, but it's also the technology pieces because you can't operate in a heavily transactional manual way. So while this part doesn't typically get surfaced or visibility, at, you know, when you're talking to the business owners, the folks that, you know, are making the SaaS world possible, but we need these pieces because all this revolves ultimately whether it's you know agile or other models, you need that continuous integration, continuous development, and the set of technologies behind that are critical to remove manual processes that would otherwise be impossible to work with in terms of this model. Um, and I see the entire set of stack of technologies that are behind the scenes as a pivotal. Uh, foundation to to making this all happen. Well, yeah, and, and speaking of that, you, you mentioned continuous uh, development, and a little bit earlier you mentioned continuous localization, and I'd like to unpack that a little bit here, since I think a lot of people have different thoughts on what continuous localization is. So, would you mind explaining what Dell sees or what Dell's continuous localization? process looks like? How do you define it? Why is it important? What are the, you know, maybe some benefits and some some challenges that you've experienced in moving to that process? So first, I see continuous local as the entirety of globalization. So for us, we define that as internationalization and localization. Um, it's not just what you have to do to the transition workflow process to enable that to happen. You have to first start with what you're doing to make that code, that software application, that product service work globally, and that needs to be ha- that needs to happen, and that requires a lot because it requires a cultural mind shift change for most engineering organizations who do not see this as either a core to what they do or and or you know an important aspect of what they need to do. So you have to put those pieces in place. And those pieces are not, you know, obviously there, there, there are things like, you know, freeze dates, uh, you know, you put rigor behind it, governance, but you need to build that culture, cultural mindset around, and that, that spans, by the way, the entire ecosystem to what you need to achieve. So you need that piece in place and you need to work at it in order to then make the continuous localization process uh, a success. Um, and that's where I was inferring a little bit about where technology comes in, because you need technology on the internationalization side to make things efficient. And really, you know, our purpose to, to do this at Dell is to integrate internationalization within all the existing engineering workflows um, to enable engineering, and I mean development and test, to internationalize code and test it in line with how they operate today. It doesn't work if you take them outside their systems. It's a very, very hard sell if you're going to do that, especially in today's world of limited resources, time constraints, pressures to deliver, deliver, deliver quickly. So you really have to establish that process through not just you know a, a set of steps, but through technology. And you need to infuse things that will automate the software localization workflows, how development can quickly assess the state of their compliance with internationalization through static tools. That's a big component. So if you dive right into continuous log thinking that it's a localization process, you probably won't get there. If you do, you get there through a very painful journey. Then I think then, yes, you need to look at the localization process. You need to also have the right sets of tools. You need your LSPs to be in line. You need to obviously understand how you have to adopt the traditional way of translating into a model that doesn't have capacity for delays. But to me, you really need that front piece first in order for the whole ecosystem to work. For Dell, it's critically important 
um, the days of having to think about plus 30, plus 45 and further out are not a thing of the past, but it's really not in line with how the world is moving. It's not how our customers operate. Um, it's not how the business operates. Uh, Scott touched on it a bit, a, a bit, but also from a revenue perspective, uh, you know, you you want to allow the business to, you know, to operate in that manner. Um, so I think continuous slow plays a, a huge part of making of driving the business and making it possible for regardless of where you're located around the world to get whatever you're going to buy, whether it's through the SaaS model or otherwise, buy it when it's ready and not have to have a delay in how you purchase things because you you don't deliver on a continuous look. So I de- bottom line is I think continuous look is a critical, another critical piece in the equation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I see the, the trend of, Again, I see this across different industries. You know, even when you get step outside of, you know, the high tech industry where Dell sits, and you look at other industries, they're all shifting towards, um, you know, embedded software capabilities for with their products, which means suddenly everybody has to has to consider high tech consider you know needs. The world is just you know markets are expecting products simultaneously everywhere. And if you don't ship everywhere all at the same time, then you wind up losing to competitors or, or knockoffs. Right. And so it does seem like it's just becoming the new norm. And uh, certainly this last year with everybody being stuck at home and having to rely so much on technology and, and uh, you know, being working distantly from each other, has I think increased that adoption of the or that expectation that they're going to get access to things uh, as soon as they need them rather than kind of the traditional uh, the older tiered uh, approaches. Yeah, so, and if I may, yeah. Andrew, there's yeah. another benefit, and it's not often thought through correctly. And it's not as I was describing a lot of the external aspects to to the equation, but I think internally it's also critical. And the engineering from both a technology or technical perspective, but also from the business, they can't afford to divert resources um, to to create additional layers. I, I sort of touched upon it a little bit um, when I was talking before this, but you really can't – it's really a hard sell for them to do something when they don't have the time and you're asking them to do something that – doesn't fit their model. It doesn't fit their business operations, how they operate. And they get a lot of, and of course, they have a lot of pressures to deliver on features and deliver on things that customers are asking for. So one of the internal benefits of a continuous local world is that you, as I described it earlier, you you enable them to do what needs to happen because there are business requirements. We have to translate into a certain set of languages, and that will vary, of course, in what you're talking from a product perspective, but if you don't, that that internal benefit is is that for them, they don't have to divert their engineering time and resources to accomplish something that takes them away from other important aspects of their business. And obviously that primarily comes down to features that are being requested by customers and so forth. So I think there's also an internal benefit at, uh, at this model, um, which is not obviously a customer facing, in this, in the sense of what you know, you have to do, but it does impact the whole ecosystem. Yeah, no, that makes that makes really good sense. Um, we talked about some of the benefits, but I know that this is a challenging shift for most companies. It's certainly sometimes a challenging shift for LSPs uh, in the way that they interact with clients. Um, what are some of the downsides? What are some of the challenges that you faced or that you see? just kind of in general when people move to this process? Well, we're still at it. So it's not, a, it's not a, you know, the journey is never really complete because you're always having to adjust and to see the world not as a uniform uh, way of thinking or doing. Um, the challenges are, to some extent, pretty much what I was talking about, like cultural mindset. People have to think different, differently. They have to approach things not in a transactional serialized way of executing, but where you have to align processes and, and into a parallel world. 
So some of the challenges that I think, uh, and I would think that this is more of a global thing, but is built around changing way people operate and the way they think. And that's not as easy as, as saying it here. It takes time. Um, it takes time to adopt and adapt to what needs to happen. I think another challenge is that stretches you is really understanding who your stakeholders are. What do they really need? Why do they need it? It's not just, oh, okay, we have to set up a automated workflow in the localization on the localization side and the LSPs uh, as well are part of that picture. It's understanding really what are the things that they're being, like what is engineering really asking for? What are the executives looking for? Why does that matter? Because that impacts what you have to go do. So a challenge is, is understanding your stakeholder from a different angle because you're not you're not asking them about you know what volumes you have. You're trying to really infuse yourself, and that's that can be a scary uh, world because if you're not from an engineering background, it's it can it can put thoughts into people's minds about how you engage an engineering organization to, f to further understand how they operate. Um, those are subtleties. I know that obviously there's challenges with technology, having the right setups, uh, you know, making that ecosystem work, um, turnaround times. I think those are the more obvious ones, but I wanted to call out those because I think those are the ones that typically, if you don't think about them first, you'll face them, but you'll be facing them without really having um, you know, sort of you have to face them on the fly and that causes a lot of churn. Um, so I, for me, at least, I think those are the, those are two of the big ones that I see beyond the traditional sort of way of thinking around the tools and, and sort of what we do today from a globalization perspective. And I'm assuming when you say that you have to like socialize this concept, you're talking about it across the board with all stakeholders, right? Because you have to get engineering to think a new way, your own team to think a new way, and the LSPs to think a new way, right? So, Yes, it's the entire ecosystem. You can't really look at it. That's why I was talking when I was saying about different sets of uh, lenses or angles. Yes, it's the entire ecosystem because you can't just look at it from the approach. I think the first one is to really look at your stakeholders. It's easy to go where your comfort zones are with what you know and what you are an expert at. But I think the, the first thing is to really understand what are those business requirements, why does this matter? Because those things, while it may it may be hard to, well, why does it matter? You know, at the end of the day, I know I need to do continuous localization. I need to set up the workflows. I need to do this. I need to do that. But those things can be very impactful because those things can uh, derive or at least point you in different directions. And it can either take you in the direction you need to go or it could take you off your direction. So I think the challenge there is, is that you have to think I, and it's you know a cliche to say this, but you have to think outside the box, um, and you have to challenge your own mindset to not just think about the the term continuous localization and how do you achieve you know simultaneous translations, if you will. So th I think for me that's where I see you know the big the, the the big area of thought that needs to be happening before you really get into the back end specifics. Well, I do want to talk about the back end specifics a little bit um, with Scott on, you know, Fernando was mentioning how you guys had to be more tightly integrated with the development process, you know, the build process, the engineering process. And I assume some of that is down to the hooks and the ways that you integrate the translation platform that you have at Dell in with those processes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of what all what your experience has been in in supporting uh, this approach? Sure. Yeah, one of the things that we uh, we have seen at Dell over the last, I would say, probably year, year and a half, is it's a huge increase in the desire for our development teams to plug directly into the translation solution. And so that goes from our web. Our, web, our websites, our web apps, um, all the way back to our, our applications. Um, and as we move more towards our SaaS solutions as well, they're looking really for the opportunity to, to really, in some ways, there's this challenge of how do we redefine um, the way they develop even, right? Because 
Um, if you if you think about standard software development processes, one of the challenges has always been who writes the interface, right? And who um, who edits it, who controls it, who manages that, who makes sure we've got you know high quality uh, content there. And what we're finding is that we move to the SaaS model where it's sort of almost a mix between marketing and and software, right? Um, that we we've had challenges where now the authors of those interfaces want a better a better interface to work in, right? And traditional software doesn't really provide that for you. Um, the place you go to get that typically is our content management systems, and so we have a number of content management systems plugged into our our solution. But one of the challenges then is how do you mix the two the two models, right? You you got a, a group who wants to wants to author in content management, but but what they're building is a software solution, and so how do you then provide the flexibility to to iterate the interface so that you get a clean interface that works properly for the for your customers while still providing um, a robust authoring environment for the the creators of the of the interface of the english versions of the interfaces right and, and so that's definitely a challenge we've run into um i think one of the other challenges we run into as we move towards this SaaS model and also as we move more towards continuous translation is that in order to maximize what we get out of our technology platform there's also a need really to standardize right our our processes because in order to automate and reduce overhead, which is what really the goal is here, right? How can we move from development to you know, an English product to a localized product to a release product all in, in as tight a timeline as possible? Um, the key to that really is how do we eliminate waste in process and how do we um, minimize overhead in the, in the translation and release process, right? And and really, that comes back to how two two sort of competing, I, I would say, elements of of translation. One is the automation and optimization. So how how fast can I get something out? Versus how how much time and effort do I can I spend in making sure it's high quality, right? And that's one of the areas that we're really looking at right now, which is. How do we bring quality? We want we don't want to sacrifice quality for speed, but in order to optimize both, one of the things that we've historically done a lot at, at Dell is to try and be a very, I would say, overly accommodating. We sort of have, have allowed our stakeholders to get used to the an idea of for this job, it's okay to skip a step. And for that job, we can add a step. And for this one over here, we can do a little bit of a tweak and change. And so what that ends up doing is is building a very complex environment where in, you know, 20% of their jobs, you include a, a client review. And in the other 20%, you don't. And in this case, we rely on a vendor to do that review. And in this case, we rely on internal resources. And what we're finding is as is that in order for us to really be a an efficient and effective and highly optimized solution, a lot of this goes back to you know beyond the technology, it goes back to process and standard standardization of process, right? Yeah, it sounds like you're you're basically saying something very similar to what Fernando was saying around in the process of that standardization, having to go back and engage all of the stakeholders and get a mind shift, if you will, in, in their approach, given the, your, your past um, customized approach, if you will. And that's kind of in, in conflict with standardization, right? So yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and I though although the, the topic of quality is actually very fascinating to me and, and I'd love to, take a little side trip on that if, if you guys are willing. Um, because I find that so often, <clears throat> particularly in the localization industry, we talk a lot about quality, but 
quality for the business oftentimes means different things, right? If you're talking within the Loke industry, it's traditionally linguistic quality and how well something is translated and kind of representing what was the original intent of the original language. Um, but going back to your earlier customer support example, where you had moved to uh, using NMT, the quality in that scenario isn't really about the quality of the translation. It's about the ability for a non-native speaking support person to be able to resolve uh, a problem that somebody who speaks a different language is having. It doesn't really matter how good the translations are if, presumably, it doesn't matter if the, they're able to resolve their problem, right? Yeah. When we talk about the uh, application of the, of the MT in that scenario, what we're looking for is is the metric you want to measure against is not necessarily was the translation perfect or not, right? What you really want to look at is did the translation enable completion of the task, right? And so – and what, so that's one of the things, you know, as we've been moving into this, we're in a POC of that solution at the moment. And one of the things that we're working hard to, to set expectations with the our team members who will be involved with that is that we shouldn't be overly concerned about the, you know, dot the I, cross the T. You know, was that, a, was that the, t the term I would have chosen to do this translation, right? What we want to focus more on is did this give you the information to be able to understand the customer's concern and therefore um, provide a resolution for them? And when you provided that resolution, were they then able to understand the resolution and and get the, their problem solved? And if those two things can happen, then the solution is successful, right? Um yeah, so that's that's one, and, and so that's something that I think we, it's really interesting to, to try and, and attack is, and then it's also inside that whole support arena is there's you know, as you probably know, with knowledge bases and other things out there, support generates a ton of content, right? And and we, it's the one area inside of our ecosystem where we do today support the delivery of raw MT without any editing. Um, and that team is actually taking the lead on really pushing us to expand, you know, the coverage of, of raw MT. And we're in the process now of looking to, you know, move some languages fully to to uh, a raw MT solution and then see how the customers react to that and and look to, you know, see their feedback and see whether or not it is enabling them to get the information that they need to be able to get the resolution to the problems. And what that does in, in the end is it enables us to, one, provide more content in those languages, as well as expand it to support uh, localized content in more languages, right? And so we're, we're de it's definitely pushing us and, and, and the MT uh, engine's capabilities to see how well we can make that work and and uh, whether or not we can get the quality we need to be able to have a successful solution. And I think in our in our general translation work, you know, as we talked about quality, what we're looking at is how do we build quality uh, processes that uh, ensure that our customers get what they need and are able to get high quality products, but also because um, often quality and speed are your trade offs, right? And so, how do we how do we minimize that trade off while still maximizing turnaround time and also quality? Well, yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because I wanted to ask Fernando, uh, like the quality impacts or or shifts in perception of quality or how you approach quality control on your team side in a continuous loc process. Because I think to Scott's point. Speed sometimes is in direct conflict with quality, but also the kind of uh, potential advantage you have with continuous loc is that you can iterate the same content more than once, whereas in the old days, you may have only gotten one crack at it. So I'm just curious what your approach is on your team when it comes to quality and how you think of quality in the work that you guys do. Well, for me, when I think of quality, and I think this is another one of the challenges, uh, back to the question you were asking a couple of minutes ago, in my view, 
right in the globalization business or industry everyone wants to have the best quality right you don't want errors you want uh, i wouldn't say perfection but close to it in a continuous slope world in this world that we were talking earlier the question is do you accept imperfection because you're having to basically align to a very rapid environment where there's literally no delay in how things get developed, tested, and ultimately released. And so the traditional model of how we've approached that aspect in globalization doesn't quite align to that sort of continuous low CI, CD world. And I think the challenge there is, is is it okay, is it acceptable to say, I'm not going to ship with the the expected quality output that we have, de- you know, we have defined, there are going to be errors. Um, and is that acceptable? Is it acceptable to the company? Is it acceptable to our customers? One can make the argument that in, in, in the uh, non-translation world, when they're in this world, they're shipping with bugs. They're shipping with it, it features that are not 100% yet complete. But that's the whole point of this rapid development world is, is you want you're not in that old world of waterfall where it took you six to eight months to produce a beta until you had everything lined up as if it was ready to ship. In this world, you 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 put things out there knowing that they're not perfect, but you want to get that constant input from your customer base, and and that's what you know you iterate on, and then you go and improve and change, and you and then you you work on it. So if it's a if it's okay from an engineering perspective to accept that that's the reality, why would it not be okay from a localization perspective to accept that the quality isn't going to go out to the same level of expectations in the in that in that world than in the traditional world, knowing that you ultimately will get to the quality you expect, but it's not going to be in that same fashion. I think that's a that's a big challenge. Yeah, it's almost like you have a new demarcation line. I know like in engineering speak, there's usually talk about a minimum viable product. And so it's like a minimum viable quality is certainly like a concept maybe or, or a way of thinking about it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you see, you know, like in my mind, I do see like the iterative nature of continuous localization as being a potential for actually improving quality more so than the old processes because – you know, in the old days, you, you tried to get everything perfect, but, you know, being perfectly honest, mistakes still happened. There were still quality issues even before we all moved to continuous localization. And more often than not, when the quality errors happened back then, you had to re- do a big dot release or you had to wait for another major release vehicle in order to fix whatever major quality issues there were. And I guess one of the advantages with continuous loc is – I assume, and you let me know if this is true at Dell, is that that's no longer such a pain that you can you can improve the quality and attach it to the next iteration whenever that might happen to be going out. You you can, but that's part of that culture shift and that mind mindset shift to understand that in this world, it's it's not going to be the same world that we all lived in when we were doing traditional sort of globalization engagements, mostly with product engineering. Um, but and in, and and of course in today's world it's not just traditional product engineering. You have a lot of other um, software development that takes place in different forms uh, with different customers, different audiences. So I think that's that's part of that challenge that we were talking about earlier, um, and that stretches you outside your comfort zone because you know that if, for example, a sentence is completely wrong in, in that local language, well, what, what will it mean to the customer? Did you just create a geopolitical issue? Did you give them information that doesn't lead them to know what to do next because they don't understand what the, what, what's next in the journey? But I think it's okay if you, if you think about it from that broader perspective that you're, you're shipping in small increments. You're not going to be perfect out of the gate. You'll get there, but each increment gets better. So yes, to your point, I think it does improve quality from from that angle, but it's it's acknowledging that that's what you're doing because it's it doesn't it's sort of your your um your um your mind doesn't think that way, right? And so your mind needs to change to see that oh that's this is actually a good thing. It's just a different world that's necessitated things to be looked at differently. 
Um, so for me, I think, yeah, you're, 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 you are potentially improving that quality. It's just you're taking a different road in doing so. Yep. No, that makes total sense. Um, so just kind of wrapping up the conversation now, thinking about, we've talked a lot about uh, your focus on the customer experience, your uh, shift uh, and adoption of continuous localization, the technology platform considerations, the quality considerations. Um, are there any, is there anything else around this that we haven't already discussed that you think is from either of you that you think is a major element that listeners to the podcast should be aware of when it comes to, you know, either adopting a continuous localization model or, uh, you know, taking a, a, a different look at how they interact with product development teams or product experience, customer experience, those sorts of things. Is there any aspect that you think, you know, any best practices, any major takeaways, any kind of major advice that you can offer? I think our listeners would really appreciate that. I would say for me that when you look at this world, this as a service world, how does globalization fit into that world? How do you make it work? I think you have to see it not as a point in time journey, but a real journey. You have to be patient. It does take time uh, because there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of considerations that need to be taken and you're not going to get there in one piece. You, you, it's it's similar to what we were just talking about with the quality aspects. You're going to get there, but it's going to take an element of time, a lot of perseverance, a lot of patience, um, but understanding that that journey, even if, if it's a multi-year journey, will get you there. Um, you just, you've got to incorporate the bumps into the equation uh, and knowing that, um, but, and I, I mean that pervasively from whether it's the process, the technology, the combination, it's not, it's not, the goal isn't to get there as quickly as possible. I, in my mind, the goal is to get there in a way that allows you to ultimately achieve your entirety of your goals and your expected outcomes. And that's why I say it's more of a journey. Um, that's not saying that I advocate that it takes multi-year journey, but you can't, squeeze everything into a neatly defined sort of set of steps, it's going to take you time and it's also going to take you away. You will find out that that journey isn't going to always go the way you expected it. Uh, I think that's one of the takeaways that I'm learning as we go through our own journey here at Dell about how to establish that model. And also keeping in mind that the model may not be uniformly the same if you're implementing that model on different business operations. So product engineering might have a continuous look model, uh, but the dot-com space might have a slightly different model because the, the business and the requirements, the audience are not uniformly the same. So you have to be, I guess, at the end of the day, adaptable. That's not to say that you have to create N number of look models that continuous look models. I mean, uh, you certainly have baselines. There's definitely common denominators. But you have to be careful not to think that the world is uniformly the same and try to fit that model exactly the same way across across every aspect of the company's business operations. Yeah, it's back to that same struggle that Scott was talking about around standardization versus offering customized approaches. Um, and Scott, I wonder for you on the technology perspective, you know, as you think about uh, the history of translation technology at Dell where you started, where you are today, where you're headed. Um, same kind of question, you know, if for, for our listeners, if you had to give one piece of advice or one best practice when it comes to building out a, a translation technology platform, whether or not they're going to support continuous loc, you know, what, what would your advice be for our listeners? I would say when it comes to technology and translation, especially translation technology, what unfortunately in our industry you're not you're never going to find the the silver bullet technology that solves all of your all of your issues um and so i think what you have to do is you have to decide what elements of you know what you really want the platform to do for you and then you need to look don't be afraid to one make mistakes you can go in, you can, as you build your solution, it's okay to iterate and to have trial and error. 
Um, and I think as well, what what I I think one of the other key is you, you need to make sure you understand that building a solid translation solution takes more than just process. It takes more than just technology. It takes a combination of the two working in in a nice rhythm and in good synchronization, right? You could have the best technology in the world, and if you have bad processes, it will do nothing for you, right? And you can have the best processes in the world, and if you have bad tech, it's, it's going to be hard to make those processes bring the profit that you want them to do for you, right? And so the key is really to, is to work to build both out and, and to maximize both together. And if you do that, then I think in, you can make your technology do what you need it to do if you've got the, a good process that, that takes into account what your technology is, is capable of doing. And I, you know that's as I look how as it is today, and I think as you look towards your future, then you can look and say, let's get to a steady state, a solution that meets our needs. And now we can look to see how do we add more bells and whistles to that solution you know, how do we find that next iteration, that next gen solution that maybe moves us more close, you know, closer to that nirvana of, you know, a translation platform that also provides, you know, all of the program management, project management, globalization management solutions that we're looking for. Well, it sounds like a great summary for least my perspective on the way that you guys interact with each other, you know, talking about process and technology and working in lockstep with each other and iterating. Um, you know, as you say, Fernando, you guys are on a journey, but I think uh, from my point of view, you guys are, are pretty far along that journey and it's very impressive. And I want to thank you both for sharing your story with us and kind of letting us peek behind the curtain of what goes on at Dell in your localization processes. And thank you for sharing that with our globally speaking listeners. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to globally speaking an RWS production. You can subscribe to globally speaking on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean. Check out other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com where you can also find transcripts from every show. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out to us by contacting us at info at globallyspeakingradio.com. Global